at, like I said, we've, uh, this whole class has been about looking at some of, the, some of the strange and unusual things about the Bible, either things about how we got the Bible, things that are in the Bible, and today I want to look at something that is particularly troublesome for some folks. Uh, not surprisingly, it comes from the Old Testament. Let me ask this question to start off with. Where in the Bible is the first occurrence of the word righteousness? See if you can answer that question without looking it up on your phone or your concordance. Where in the Bible is the first occurrence of the word righteousness? What do you think? Robert says Psalms. Okay, so that would be Genesis 19. That's close. That is pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> and and in this class, close counts, not just horseshoes and uh, hand grenades. Yeah, yeah. Noah is a little bit farther away, but that was uh, that's a really good guess. Really good guess. Another good guess, but uh, no. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. This is a verse that most of us will know. If you grew up in church, you're probably aware of this verse. And I'll uh, read this for us. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord... And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Who believed the Lord in that story? Abraham. Does anybody, whenever anybody hears the word Abraham, do you start singing that song from Holiday Inn? Nobody? All right. All right. What song? Now Abraham. And so, because not that one. <laughs> Okay, I guess I'm the only uh, real Bing Crosby fan around here. <laughs> anyway, all right, according to this verse, uh, I just read, according to this verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, what did Abraham do that was credited to him as righteousness? He believed the Lord. All right. Keep your uh, keep a bookmark or something there in Genesis 15. Fast forward with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, move from the First Testament to the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul takes an opportunity to use the Old Testament. Imagine that, right? A gospel preacher <laughs> preaching from the Old Testament. And here he goes. This is Paul discussing... Basically, what Abraham did, kind of the pattern that we see here with Abraham, I'll read from the ESV. Just as Abraham believed, or sorry, I'll read from the NRSV. Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So there he's quoting Genesis 15 there. So you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham, who believed. Paul's whole point in this discussion in Galatians chapter 3 is actually one that's pretty relevant for any Christian in the room <laughs> and anywhere in the world today. Paul looks at... Oh, actually, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to tell you that. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you. All right. So according to Paul, Abraham believed and that was credited to him as righteousness. All right, question. Did Abraham have the law to follow? No. Through whom, this is a simple question, through whom did God give the law? Moses. About how much later, roughly, did Moses show up after Abraham? Five or six hundred years. We can take it at 500 years, just kind of a rough estimate. Okay. Another question. Was Abraham circumcised when God considered him righteous? No. Very good. Paul's point there in Galatians 3 is extraordinarily relevant for us today. God has always justified his people on the basis of their faith. Really, that sense of faith there is something like faithfulness, fidelity. Remember last week, I, I gave a communion devotional, and I asked, any, I asked people in the crowd, who knew what semper fidelis meant? Yeah, saw several hands go up there. The Christian's motto is similar, semper fidelis Deo, always faithful to God. Faithful meaning so much more than just, oh yeah, I believe this God. Yeah, I, I go to church sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Faithful meaning fidelity. Married friends in the room, there's a difference between just believing you're married, right, and acting like you're married. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. We get it. There's a difference. Just believing in God and acting like you're faithful to God. All right, let's go back to Genesis. Back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I'm giving us all some background here for what, is, uh, what we're going to get to in just a moment. Genesis chapter 12, really verses uh, 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, okay, he hadn't changed his name yet, Go from your country and your kindred and your, father, and your father's house to the land I will show you. All right. There's the command. Go. A call, basically. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So with Genesis chapter 12 here, and Abraham's call, we see, or Abraham's introduction here to the story, we see a call, a command to go. And that command is given with a promise of blessing. And the basic pattern here is, 
If you will go, you will be blessed. Fidelity yields righteousness. That's the pattern that Abraham is establishing here. Fidelity yields righteousness. As Israel's first and arguably greatest ancestor, God worked with Abraham to establish this pattern for all Israelites to follow. A call and promise to be fulfilled faithfully. A call to be fulfilled faithfully and an attendant promise with that. And so Abraham, yeah, I mean, he kind of struggled some with this, right? They, they had some weird twists and turns in the story. How many times did Abraham ask his wife to pretend that she was just a sister? Not just once, <laughs> but twice. <laughs> married friends in the room, or if you're not married, is that a good idea? <laughs> okay, right, all right, yeah. So, there were some twists and turns in the story. But then... The real righteous one there was the, the Pharaoh. You know, the, <laughs> the irony, right? Me, yeah. yeah, the irony. Pay close attention, because the, the Bible wasn't just put together haphazardly. It's very important when even pagans recognize something that God's own people should recognize but miss sight of. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, but keep, keep a, 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 if you've got a print Bible, keep a finger on Genesis 12, or be able to get back to Genesis 12 quickly. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. The text says, after these things, God did what to Abraham? What's it say? tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, listen, listen to how God addresses the situation here. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Here we see another call and another expectation of obedience. And what we miss sometimes in English, you have uh, ministers who can help explain some things in Hebrew. In Genesis 12, when God tells Abraham to go, if you were to translate that really literally, it's something like, while you're going, go. Or something like, get up and go. In Genesis 12, at the very beginning of Abraham's departure from his family's house, in Genesis 22, we use the same language here. While you're going, go. Hopefully, Abraham is realizing, oh, last time God told me to do something to get up and go, something pretty serious happened. Maybe I need to pay attention here. All right, 
Take a look at Genesis 22, verse 1. Question, what is the first thing we learn about God in Genesis 22, verse 1? What's the first thing we learn about God? What is God doing in Genesis 22, verse 1? He's testing him. He's testing him. He's testing Abraham. Is there anything in the text that tells us Abraham knew what was going on? I don't think there's any indication in the text. I think the, the reader is aware that this is a test. And the reader is also aware that God obviously does not intend Abraham to go, with, go through with the sacrifice. Now, in the moment, Abraham doesn't know this. So we've got some kind of insider knowledge here that Abraham doesn't have. What is God hoping to see from Abraham through this test? Faithfulness. You want to know something else that's kind of neat? Flip over really quickly to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. I had a lot of fun putting together this lesson because I, I was finding a ton of things I, I wasn't even aware of. Give me just a second. Hmm. That was not the verse that I was looking for. I apologize. Apparently I had too much fun putting this together. It is, yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, I apologize. That, um, that's not the right verse. Um, I'll find it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, and I don't think I've ever picked up. I mean, I know in the New Testament that, that it refers to him as reasoning that God could could bring his son mm -hmm. to life. But uh, is is and no one knows. But is that a, uh, is this here stating his faith, or is this stating, oh, I don't want you, you know, to get alarmed, or you know, uh, or Freudian slip, you know, whatever. Yeah. Though that's, those are good questions, which we'll get to in just a moment, because I've got some of that down in here. All right, so I apologize, send on your wild goose chase to Exodus 20. Um, some, the point was to find, direct us to a verse that shows that even there on Mount Sinai, where God has delivered the law through Moses, he is testing the Israelites. Well, what's the purpose of the law? Why did God give them the law? To teach them about sin. about sin and how to live faithfully. So in a similar way, we have two different tests happening here. All right. Um, somebody read for me, uh, Linnea, 
What? Is it Exodus 20, verse 20? See, this is why you're my favorite Bible student. <laughs> it's Exodus 20, verse 20. Exodus 20, verse 20. There in the midst of all this discussion about, um, about the, the law and, and everything, same kind of thing. God is testing the Israelites, meaning he's giving them an opportunity to demonstrate their faithfulness. All right, uh, flip back to Genesis 22. Thank you. If y'all are not familiar with the, with the website called Bible Gateway, it's a really great website to be able to check any different kind of uh, Bible translation. English, uh, any other modern language, really helpful. Uh, if you want to brush up on your Spanish, you could probably find some Spanish Bibles there too. Genesis 22, verse 2, I skimmed through all of the English translations available to there, and they all read something kind of like this. Uh, let me, um, they had something along these lines. Uh, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, etc., etc. They all read something like that. This is really frustrating because in Hebrew, God doesn't just say, take your son. He says, Abraham, please take your son. He says, please. How often does God ask somebody, please, in the Bible? Not very often. Usually, God or the angel of the Lord or Gabriel or somebody shows up and says, you know, first off, don't be afraid, right? Don't be terrified. Um, and then, God wants you to say this to the people, or God wants you to do this, or, you know, uh, take the Apostle Peter, right? He's uh, there praying on the roof. He sees the vision of the sheet. He sees the vision of the sheet come down, and God says, Peter, arise, kill, and eat these unclean animals. It gets Peter thinking about, you know, the nature of identity markers and baptizing an uncircumcised Gentile, and so, but here, please, please, take yourself. I think, I think we see God's tenderness towards Abraham and his awareness of how serious the situation is. That is a good question. This isn't the only place, but it is rare. And I don't know why it's not in there. I'm sure somebody has a good reason for it. I mean, the translation committees are put together by some, some heavy hitters, but... Nah. <laughs> yeah, it's the word nah. That's right there. Third word in the verse in Hebrew. What are you going to say, Gavin? Oh, gotcha, yeah. Bible Hub is another good one. Blue Letter Bible is another good free app. And verse 22, or sorry, in chapter 22, verse 2, where does God ask Abraham to take his son? Start walking, I'll show 
Basically, to the region of where? Yes, sir? Yeah. And maybe he's saying, Abraham, this time you be the one to be faithful. I think so. I I I think we I think we definitely we can look and find in scripture times when people clearly failed tests. Absolutely. Yeah. Peter had an opportunity to be faithful and three times abandoned Jesus in one night. Yeah. We can stretch that to today. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, so in this case, he has failed the test. Yeah. Abraham, please, I need somebody to do this. I wouldn't doubt it. And you're the one. I think he's also aware, I, I think God's also aware of, maybe of, of, the, of the seriousness of what he's asking Abraham, because it, it, I mean, decades pass. I promise, I've promised a great nation through you. And they try to hold business with Hagar. And in Genesis 17, Abraham sits there and bargains with God again. I have a son, Ishmael. And God's like, no, the promise is through you and Sarah. That's how this works. Just trust me. Yeah. God asks Abraham to go to the region of Moriah to a mountain that he will show him. Again, bells are going off in Abraham's head because when Abraham was first called, God says, get up and go to the land that I will show you. Here it is, a specific command to get up and go. He's sort of vague on the details. Just trust me, if you have little kids, how many times have you needed to tell your little kids, it's okay, just trust me. We're, we're not going to miss King's kids, okay, Pete? <laughs> Our five-year-old is always very concerned to ask, where are we in the bulletin? Like, buddy. Because he can read now, so he can find King's kids, but sometimes he has a little trouble with some of the songs. We're not going to miss it. Just trust me. You'll get there. Moriah. Go to the land of Moriah. Moriah comes from a Hebrew word that means something like see, or provide, or show, or something like that. Sight and provision. Now remember the whole business about Ishmael in Abraham's story. Sarah doesn't think that God's plan is for her to have the son, so she offers Hagar, her slave, Abraham conceives, or Hagar conceives a son with Hagar, and then Sarah and Hagar really start hating each other. Sarah kicks Hagar out of the camp. And then Hagar is expecting that she will die. But in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord finds Hagar and tells her to return to Sarah, but also promises that her son Ishmael will be a mighty nation. Hagar is so overcome with the compassion of Abraham's God, that she names him the God who sees, or the God who provides. And so even here in this strange story with Abraham and Hagar, 
and the son not yet born, we see hence God sees, God provides. The word that Hagar uses there is the same root as the word for Moriah. It's all these hints, all these suggestions that God is the one who sees. Here in Genesis 22, Abraham is sent to a place where he, like Hagar, is reminded of God's faithfulness to his promises and his extraordinary provision. So all of these little features, these subtleties here and there come to bear on this text. And so as we look at this text and think, yikes, man, God, child sacrifice, really? Is that the test? There's all kinds of hints here and there. God sees. God will provide. And then we get to the issue that Robert raised just a minute ago. Take a look at Genesis 22. Verse 5, they travel for a few days. Abraham says to his, uh, his guys that help him out, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there in worship, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. What do you make of that? We will come back to you. Did Abraham know that he wouldn't have to go through with it? Is he trying to not alarm the guys who are with him? What do you think? Maybe it represents something he hopes or, or to not alert. But I, I would, whenever I read it, I think it's something he would hope that would happen. Something he hopes. Yeah. And so, you know, he didn't, but he still didn't know that. But right. I guess he had enough faith in the promise mm-hmm. and in God that what other choice was there? He had already yeah. said the promise is going to come through your son. Yeah. In, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 17, God and Abraham hash it out. And Abraham's like, God, I have a son. God's like, that's not the one. The son that I'm going to build this great nation with is going to come through your and Sarah's bodies. And then Abraham believes again. He's faithful to that again. And so what we see here is the Hebrew author, kind of what David alluded to, the Hebrew author looks back at that and said, Abraham had such incredible commitment to God's plan here that Abraham must have thought, surely, if I'm to go through with this, surely God will still be faithful to his promises. And so even if this child is killed, God, will, God must raise this child from the dead. But as you and I know, right, Abraham doesn't have to do this. I love what one scholar has said here about this. 
as we've kind of looked at the strange episode. I gave you a lot of background because, again, I want you to see how those little hints here and there that show us God's character. It's not God being a cosmic bully, pushing and shoving his people around to do what he wants them to do. There's all these little hints here of God's faithfulness. This comes from a book titled, Is God a Moral Monster? Spoiler alert, the guy argues, no, he's not. But he says, in all of these ways, we see God's faithful tenderness cushioning the startling harshness of God's command. Remember when he says, please, there? If you are the kind of person that likes to take notes in your Bibles, it might be worth writing a note down there in, in, that, uh, in that verse. Chapter 22, verse 2. It's as though God is saying to Abraham, I'm testing your obedience and allegiance. You don't understand, but in light of all I've done and said to you, trust me, not even death can nullify the promise I've made. And ultimately, right? Who was the one to make the sacrifice to offer their son? Yeah. It was God. This wasn't Abraham's choice to make, ultimately. God was the one to make the sacrifice, which goes to show once again the very point that I started off this class with back in October. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Even here, in these early beginning chapters of the Bible, we see signs pointing towards some ultimate great fulfillment that all come to fruition in the person and in the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of God's own Son, Jesus. From beginning to end, it points to him. Joe. Well, I think it's really cool that a lot of people think that Mount Homecoming is just the place where this took place. Place that this took place. That works, Joe. I'm, I'm tracking with you. Okay. We're there. <laughs> is is a Temple Mount? That 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 is a going theory. Yeah. Yeah. And how cool would that be, right? Yeah. If it if it panned out. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting there is that Jesus was the willing sacrifice. Isaac was just doing the will of his father. But Jesus was the willing sacrifice to say, 
I'll, I'll be that Lamb of God. Isaac was bound. Uh, he was yeah. But having been in a fire science class, you know that that's the one thing that people cannot do is stay in fire. Yeah. Y'all, I really appreciate your time with us. Thanks so much. Sorry we went over.